0: His, his uh his emphasis at the end of the book of Genesis and today we're not actually actually going to be talking about Joseph and you might be like well why do we have a sermon series called Joseph and there's a whole chapter that's not about Joseph it's because Joseph's brother Judah plays a significant role in his story and furthermore this is a story or Joseph's brother um his his father also Jacob this is his story from really, it's really kind of second part of his story from chapter 37 to 50 because Jacob will emerge again at the end of this chapter. But today, I'd like to deem where we're where we're gathering today. Today's like a family room atmosphere. Y'all know what I mean by that? You have your your den, your family room, your living room that you spend time in, and oftentimes you deal with difficult subjects in. And that's what we're going to do today because we're we're going to be talking about deception, and today's uh, the, today's scripture may shock some some people with its sexual content and and just some of the hard uh, things that uh, God deals with in His Word here, but God deals with it in His Word so that we can deal with it in our lives, and that's where we're at today. And so I want to I want to open up God's Word. And uh, we are going to begin reading uh, chapter 38 verses 1 through 11 and really unpacking this big idea that deception, deception is sinful. Deception is sinful. Let's look at chapter 38 verses 1 through 11 together. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adamalite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and he went into her and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived and bore a son again and he called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chesub when she bore him, and Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up your offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his So whenever he went in to his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. Verse 10, and he did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Deception is sinful, and what we see in these first 11 verses is deception is destructive. Deception is destructive. It literally destroys lives. It destroys God's purposes in our lives. It gets in the way of what God has called us to do. We have in this chapter another troubled insight to the house of Jacob and his sons. We see see Joseph was sold into slavery. Last week, this week, we see his brother, Judah, the one who's like, hey, let's not put him to death. Let's sell him into slavery so we can make some money. We see Joseph's fourth son, Judah, uh, at work here doing what he feels is right to himself and not what God has called him to do. And so we see the connection literally in the first verse when it says it happened at that time. This, this chapter is not in Joseph's story by accident this chapter is pivotal to Joseph's story. This chapter is pivotal to the story that God is writing in each and every one of our lives as he deals with sin and deception. And as, especially in a world like ours that deals with sexual sin a whole lot, we as the church cannot be afraid to address it, not just with uh, our families, but even in the context of the church. So I apologize. Today's message may be a little bit PG-13, but we have a Bible that's very real. And uh, I pray that uh, you would look at today's scripture and you not get distracted by the sinful things that happen, but what is the big idea that God is calling us to? God shows us the depths of depravity so that we know what to avoid and we know how to follow Him faithfully. So Judah leaves. Judah leaves his family. This kind of echoes Joseph leaving his family. Joseph had just departed and uh, it, it was enslaved and was being brought to Egypt. Judah departs his family and actually heads southwest of Bethlehem, 12 miles, and, and he finds an Adamelite. He finds a friend of his, Hera. And we're going to see Hera's uh, in this story, actually, only in this passage in all the scripture, but he finds a good friend. He also finds himself a wife. Uh, a a daughter of a a Canaanite, Shua. Shua's name literally means to cry for help. So rather than crying to God for help and doing what God had commanded him to do as one of his chosen sons, what Judah does instead is he tries to find his, his help away from his family in a pagan environment. At this time, the law uh, as we have in the rest of scripture like the book of Leviticus had not yet been given but what we do know is that earlier in the story Isaac and Rebekah had forbidden Esau to marry a Canaanite furthermore Jacob had had they forbid Jacob to marry outside of their clan the reason for this is not that God frowns on on interracial marriage the reason for this in this context is that God's people were easily swayed by the pagan people around them. So God said, avoid them at all costs. So what we see here is that is that Judah does not do that. Judah goes and he takes himself a Canaanite wife. And we see that they have three sons, Ur, whose name he could the, y'all, y'all know how hard it is to name a kid. He he sees his first kid come out he's like, what are you going to call him? Ur, you know? (laughs) What a name, right? So Ur's name means watchful. Um, And furthermore, maybe uh, we see that God was watchful over Ur and saw all that he did when Ur thought he could do what was evil in the sight. We know very little about Ur. He he died immediately for doing evil in the sight of the Lord. But Ur was given a wife named Tamar. Uh, King David also has a daughter named Tamar, different Tamar here, but Tamar, uh, we don't know much about her either. It's assumed possibly she was a, a Canaanite herself. Uh, her name means palm tree, so perhaps she was very pretty. And uh, and it's, uh, y'all like palm trees, right? You like on the beach seeing palm trees. So like, what better name is better than Ur, You know. And so uh, we see that uh, we see that Ur was given to Tamar in marriage. But we see that Ur immediately dies for his sins. Y'all remember back to the book of Acts? Ananias and Sapphira had held back what they had committed to the Lord, and they immediately fell dead. I don't believe we, as God's people, take serious God's call upon our lives. We think that we can get away with so many things. We have a God who forgives, yes. I will not I will not lie to you and say that God is not one who graciously Forgives us. Furthermore, Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is the good story. The good news of the story is that it does not matter what we do now as God's people. What really matters is what He has done for us. And this is what the Old Testament is showing us is that God's people tried to do things their own way, and it ultimately ends in disaster. So Ur dies, and Judah says to his next son, Onan, go in and take Tamar as your wife and perform your marital duties to her. Now, that may seem weird, you know. Uh, <laughs> nowadays, we don't have that custom of, like, if someone dies, take in the other woman as her wife, you know. I don't know if you have a brother or sister-in-law. Like, can you even imagine it? You know what I mean? Like, but back in that day, there was a thing called levirate marriage, and we see this in the book of Ruth. If you've studied the book of Ruth, leveret marriage was a way that is actually probably something that even existed before, uh, before some of the commands given towards it in Deuteronomy. But we see that leveret marriage was a way to protect widows. Women didn't have the, the, the status that we do nowadays. And so a woman was dependent upon her man for survival. This is the story of the book of Ruth, if you've ever studied Ruth. Naomi, uh, her husband died and all of her sons died, and she's left with one daughter-in-law that follows her back. And when Ruth gives birth at the end of the book of Ruth to Boaz, which was a family member which helped their their lineage and their name go, it was born to Naomi. It was helping Naomi, uh, her lineage, to keep on going and really protecting her and Ruth. Leverett marriage was a way for for not only the man who passed away his name to continue, but it was a way for God to provide in this way for uh, the, the the widow who was oppressed. And God's always had a concern for widows. Was it end of chapter one of the book of James, What what is religion that is pure? To look after orphans and widows, right? And their time of oppression and to keep one, oneself unstained from the world. Ur had already done before Onan what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and we see that sin literally turns the world upside down. The word there for wicked, used for both Onan and Ur, the word there for wicked is the reverse of Ur's name in the Hebrew. And I believe what that's telling us is that sin literally reverses the image of God, sin literally re- turns the world upside down. Sin caused Onan, rather than fulfilling his marital, marital vows to his sister in law, I know this is sounding weird, but you just got to go with me. This is Old Testament. Rather than, uh, rather than fulfilling those vows, he deceived her and even his father, who had promised his son to her to take care of Tamar. He deceives her. So what happens? Onan. Drops dead. Part of the reason why this was still, in particular, this was important, we said to protect the widow. We also said to uh, make sure that the man's name was not forgotten, but also property played a role in this as well. You could not keep the property in the family unless there was family to secure the property. And so what we see here is Onan dies, and. Judah takes things into his own hands. He's like, "Okay, I'm not giving my next son, my last child to you." Sheila, he uses the excuse that Sheila's too young, and he says what we'll see here in a moment is that even when Sheila's older, he doesn't give Sheila to Tamar. He thinks possibly maybe it's the sins. I'm just insinuating here. Maybe he assumes there's something wrong with Tamar. Y'all ever see somebody and something bad happens to them over and over and over? and you put a label on them, and you say, well, there's obviously something wrong with them. Well, what was happening here in the story? Tamar's going to sin here in a moment, but what's happening here at the beginning of the story? Tamar is not at fault. It's the wicked sons. It's literally the continuation of the wickedness of their father and their grandfather and their grandfather's grandfather. Sin, there's nothing new under the sun. Sin perpetuates itself over and over and over. So he tells her in verse 11, remain in your father's house. He literally tells Tamar to take on the widow status. This left Tamar vulnerable. And Tamar decides to take it into her own hands. And that's where we're going to see that deception gets even worse. When we don't deal with things righteously before God, things only get worse and worse and worse. It's a snowball effect. Let's read verses 12 through 23 together. We're going to unpack. We saw that deception is destructive. Here we're going to see that deception is intentional. That deception is something that we often plan to do and doesn't happen by accident. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, she daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went to Timnah to the sheep shearers he and his friend Hira, the Adamalite, there's his friend again with him. And Tamar was told, told her father-in-law, was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself up, sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him yet in marriage. We see Judah's deception there, right? holding back his son when the law said that he was supposed to provide for her. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had her face covered. Verse 16, he turned to her on the roadside and said, Come, let me come to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give to me that you may come into me? He answered, I'll give you a young goat from the flock. How y'all like that, right? What do you want? You know, not roses. I'm going to give you a goat. And he said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. She said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, she asked for your signet ring and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. It only takes one time. only takes one time. Our young people need to know that, right? It only takes one time. Verse 19. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil, and she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adamalite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who is at Enam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute's been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of this place say, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep her things as her her own. Let her keep the things as her own. And we shall, so that we shall not be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. Deception is intentional. What we see is that Tamar takes matters into her own hands. But Tamar is not the only one deceiving here. Judah is deceiving as well yet again. And what we see is that Judah acts impulsively throughout this early part of the Joseph story. Judah acted impulsively in the previous chapter when he said, let's just sell our brother into slavery. Let's make some money off of him because if we kill him, one, he's our own flesh and blood, but if we kill him, what are we left with? A sad, a sad father. Well, let's have a sad father and money while we're at it. That's the person that we're dealing with. That's who Judah is. So Judah, and, and so you might read the story and you see that she puts on her, she takes her widow's garments off and she puts on a veil. You might be like, oh, well, she's, you know what? She's, uh, she's hamming it up for him to catch her on the roadside. Now, Tamar is at fault. She goes and she sits at the roadside the roadside, just as it is nowadays in a sketchy, well-traveled part of town, is where those of disrepute do business. Y'all drive around the city and see that at times. You know, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. And so she sits at the side of the road. But this is what makes Judah's infraction even worse. I think sometimes Tamar gets too much of a negative. I'm not defending Tamar at all. Tamar did evil. Uh, Not only did Tamar's two husbands do evil, she did evil herself as well. But she puts on a veil. Did you know that the veil at that time was not worn by Israelites? It was not common. Like the veil was put on by those who were betrothed in marriage. So the veil concealed who Tamar was, you could only see her eyes. Here's another irony, in aim. the place in which she was stationed at literally means eyes. So all he could do was see her eyes, and when he looks into her eyes, all he can see is his own gratification. He doesn't see the betrothed woman. Y'all get this. She's by herself on the roadside. Yes, she's in a sinful state. Maybe she put on her betrothed, and I'm not defending her, I promise this. But maybe she's trying to send him a message that I'm already betrothed to somebody, and it's your own son Sheila. And since you're not giving Sheila to me, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. And so they go in and, and they and they and they they do what people sinfully do according to the flesh. How dirty is this? that a father would impregnate his daughter-in-law. The law actually says later on, this was never right because the law says later on that anyone who does this shall be put to death. Like it literally says that in the book of Leviticus. No one should lie with his daughter-in-law. This is not the way that God created us to be. Leviticus 18.5, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. Leviticus 20, verse 12, and you both shall surely be put to death. Sin has to be dealt with. But you say, oh, he didn't know it was his daughter-in-law. Well, don't do things the way, opposite of the way that God tells you to do it. When you take matters into your own hands, it ultimately leads in deception and destruction. It's intentional. How Y'all, we all the time are like, oh God, I did it again. But our hearts are intentionally trying to disobey and hurt God. Here's how they're intentionally doing that. Because we're more worried about the way that I feel. And what pleasure can I get than what God has called us to do? This is why Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, let the marriage bed be held, let marriage be held on honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, because God will surely judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. I'm giving you a warning, this week and next week we're talking about difficult subjects. What we're going to see next week with Potiphar's wife and Joseph is that Joseph, his reaction is the exact opposite of his brother Judah. But here's the irony of all of it. God doesn't leave Judah in his sin. God redeems Judah. God uses Judah. Let's get to that as we close out today's message. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Now in his own righteous indignation, if you can just get this, right? Like not only has he sinned, but because she sinned, like he's gonna cast that first stone, you know? Rather than taking the log out of his own eye, right? He's looking at that speck in hers. And he says, Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. Why was she immorally pregnant? Because she was betrothed to Sheila. But yet Sheila, and this is Judah's deception too, because there was nothing in Leverett law or Leverett marriage that said that a son had to take her, like that other members of the family could, if he felt that Sheila was too young, he could have gone to an uncle, a brother, or somebody else in the family. That's what we see in the story of Ruth, right? Boaz is not a direct relative, but he's a distant relative. So Naomi acts in the exact opposite way that we see Judah acting here. Judah is literally withholding Tamar's protection for his own selfish benefit. That's why when he looks at her in a moment, she says she's more righteous than I. We should not by any means lie to ourselves and say that Tamar acted righteously because she did But the depths of depravity of sin that Judah plays in this story is realized here in these verses. So she's pregnant by immorality. Let's look at the next verse. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Y'all know that the, like burning was very rare as a punishment in Deuteronomic law, in Mosaic law. It was very rare. Only the most heinous of sexual crimes required burning. His first reaction, Judah's first reaction wasn't grace and forgiveness. He said, burn her alive, burn her alive. How often when people transgress against us, that's our first reaction as well. I want them to burn. I want this world to burn, right? When we're, when we're oppressed and we're, we're needy and we feel that society has turned against us, what does every people group do? We want to burn the world down. Like this is always the sinful way that we approach conflict. 25, and she was brought out and he sent word to her father-in-law by the man to whom these by the man to whom these things I am pregnant. And she said, "Please identify who the signet and this cord and the staff are." So Tamar is shrewd here. She, rather than waiting on the goat to come, she immediately says, "All right, Judah, you deceived me once before. I'm going back to the previous uh, scripture that we read. You have deceived me once before." Why don't you give me something that he doesn't know this, but even she's planning her deception in that moment because she's looking for something that will identify him as the father. So she takes a signet, which was a a, a cylinder that kind of y'all seen that like a signet ring that you seal a, a, a stamp, a, a letter with, takes a signet and the cord that was tied to the signet and his staff, every tribal leader. During that time, I had a staff that was personalized. It's important. It's not something you give away willingly. This shows you the depths of Judah's sin, that he was willing to give away something very important, a staff. If you're a shepherd and you're in the wilderness, don't you think a stick is a good thing to have, right? It's like if you're on a trail and you find that really good stick and you know that stick and protect you, and you're like, it's the first thing I'm going to give away when the sexual opportunity arises, and that's what happened. And she doesn't accuse Judah, but she's shrewd in saying, well, who do these belong to? Because this is this is my baby daddy, is what she's saying. Then Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I, since I didn't give her my son, Sheila. And he did not know her again. I don't believe Judah would have had intimate relations with his daughter-in-law had he known. That's why sin, even though we think it's hidden, it's always known. It's always known and it's always destructive. It says he did not know her again. We see a a sign of just, a, a small sign of repentance here by Judah. What is repentance? Repentance is not words of woe for what we've done. Repentance is that plus action. True repentance is when we turn in the opposite direction. So Judah didn't no longer defile Tamar. He turned in the opposite direction and never did it again. And when the time came for her to labor, there were twins in her womb. I was talking about this last night with Laura. Did you know Rebecca and Tamar are the only two women in Scripture who have twins? So God's showing something here. Who do, who's Rebecca's two twins? Can, Esau and who? And Jacob. So we're going to see that sin always perpetuates itself when it's not dealt with. And if you don't know anything about the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau was the firstborn. He was due the inheritance. Jacob was the secondborn. And what did Jacob do? He deceived his father in his old age to steal the blessing from his brother. There's nothing new under the sun because that sin is going to perpetuate itself yet here again and Jacob's grandbabies. So let's see, and this may seem odd, but this is what this story is telling us. Verse 27, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand. So the one that's first out is the firstborn. And the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hands. This is very common back in that day and said this is the first one to come out. but as he drew back, behold his brother came out first. So here we see Zara is trying to get out, and his brother's fighting with him in the womb for the first person to get out. I know this may seem silly, it literally means that we're born sinners. It means that we're born sinners, and I've always said it before, If you don't believe that we're born sinners, then have children. You will know that they are sinful from the very beginning. Verse 29, but as he drew back his his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Perez literally means breached. That's Perez's identity, the one who breached. And took the role that his brother should have been as the firstborn. Afterwards, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand because he was the firstborn, and his name was Zerah, and Zerah's name literally means light, sunshine. So we see even then when we're when we're oppressed, and those who are sinful battle to be in front of us. God's Light still shines on us. And so what we see as we end today's message is yes, deception is destructive. Yes, deception is intentional. But deception is overcome. It's overcome. And y'all want to know how deception is overcome? It's like in the book of Revelation. It's overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Here's how it was overcome. Three months later, she conceives, or she conceived. Three months later, she began to show. God, God's not causing all these sinful things to happen, but God is behind the scenes orchestrating all of this for the good of all those who are involved. Remember that God had told Abraham, this is their distant relative, God had said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and you will be blessed. Furthermore, David is told that through you there will be a king that will reign eternally. So, do this with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I was talking with a friend this past week, and he's talking about how. Hadn't really done any deep studies of First and Second Chronicles and said, you know, well, there's all those lineages and things in there, and I'll, let's just skip over it. And then he gets into First Chronicles and he sees like, um, you have to skip like the first twelve chapters to get to anything, you know. So sometimes we skip skip over these genealogies and these things. They have meaning. Trust me, they do have meaning. Let's look at Matthew chapter one, verse two. Well. V- Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Let's go all the way back in the story. Abraham wanted to take matters into his own hand. Him and Sarah weren't able to conceive. So he, Sarah gives him her, her, her servant, right, Hagar, and they, he conceives Ishmael. Later in life, God fulfills the promise that he was always going to fulfill and Abraham got Isaac. And Isaac was the father of what? Jacob and Boaz. Jacob deceives his brother, steals his brother's inheritance, but yet again, Jacob is there. And Jacob, you would think by this, you would say Jacob, the father of Joseph, because Joseph's the one acting holy, right? In in this passage, you know, and in this story. But no, what does it say in gene- Jesus' genealogy and birth? Jacob, the father of Judah. And his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, which we, we just talked about them, right? They fought to get out of the womb, right? By Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amadad. And Amadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon or Salmon, I don't know, you know. And Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, let's go back to the story of Ruth. Boaz by Rahab. What can you tell me about Rahab? Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. who Even though she protected God's people, she lied. She was deceitful. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Get this, Ruth was not an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites descended from Lot's incest with his own daughters. this is how good God is He takes the most sinful depravity in our world and he works it out for the good of his people. Obed the father of Jesse Jesse the father of David the king David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. What can you tell me? Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. David had Uriah basically put to death by sending him to the front of the lines in battle. Takes his wife Bathsheba, sleeps with her, their first child dies, but God by his grace gives him Solomon. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. We know Ahaz was an evil king, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the one who had babies literally killed in his kingdom. We talked about that when we were in Zephaniah. This is why it's this is why it's important to stay the whole Bible. It's because it all plays a part in the story that God has written and is writing in our lives. And Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, the, you know, Josiah became king at a very young age and he restored what was right in the land. And then Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers who were who did evil at the time of their deportation to Babylon and at the time of the deportation to Babylon, Zechariah, the father of Shikotel, Shitil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Eobab, Eobab, the father of e- Elohim, Elohim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob. There's another Jacob in the story, right? And Jacob, the father of Joseph. Now we see a real Joseph entering the scene. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. The husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is the Christ. God uses all of this sinful situation to bring about the goodness of his plan for all time so that we might be saved. That is how deception is overcome. It doesn't matter what you do in your depravity. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters what God has done. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish, but would have everlasting life. So God forgives the person who sleeps with his daughter-in-law. God forgives the person who's in prison for wrongdoing. God forgives. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to our sins. There are consequences. As Christians, we don't go keep sinning. No, we become like the sinless savior. We bow at his feet and we trust in his Holy Spirit, we read his words, we pray, we share in all that he has called us to do, and day by day by day as we trudge along until we reach him in eternity, he is with us always to the very end of the age. That's the good news to this story. Deception is destructive, but Jesus is a restorer. That's where all the scripture points. So you may look at a story like today and say, okay, I, here's my deal. Like Chris and I were joking about this, like some of the, even last week, some of the difficult stuff in the passage. What'd you learn at church day, right? You got asked that at Sam's last week. <laughs> What'd you learn at church day? I learned about stuff spilling on the ground and, you know, uh, sleeping with, you know, uh, sister-in-laws. And all. No, what did you learn at church today? God overcomes all of that crap. God overcomes every sinful thing in our world through his son, Jesus. That's the story. So today I would ask, would you follow that Jesus? It doesn't matter if you have been as sinful as Judah or Tamar or Perez or, or whoever else in the story. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't look at you as a harlot. He looks at you as his. He doesn't look at you as a sinner. He looks at you as a son. Let's follow that father today. That's why we call this family church. Because we have an incredible father. A good, good father. Who has never given up on us. And never will.